0: A good leader loves people. Uh, a good leader, if you love people, you will care for people, you'll watch out for people, um, you'll listen to people and their their views and what they uh, what they have to what they have to say. So I think a, a good leader is someone who has a vision and they have a gift for being able to carry out that vision by working with the right people to get to get that done, and uh, they don't care who gets the credit.
1: Welcome to the Joyful Catholic Leader Show, where you'll hear stories and insights from those who lead with faith, from the seminary, to the parish, to the classroom, to the office, to the sports field, and everywhere in between. Today we are joined by Jeff Cavins. Now, I could probably just spend an hour reading your bio, but it'd probably be more interesting to just talk to you in person. Um, But Jeff has done a lot for the church, and we're really, really honored to have him both with the Seminaries of St. Paul um, and here in the the podcast studio today. So I'm just going to take what I found on your website for biographical introductory purposes, and then we'll get to to the conversation. Jeff is a nationally known uh, Catholic public speaker, author, television host, podcaster, and pilgrimage leader whose engaging style of teaching has helped hundreds of thousands of Catholics grasp a better understanding of the Catholic faith and the Bible. His recent work includes the Greater Adventure Bible Timeline, which is the foundation for a podcast you might have heard of called The Bible in a Year, which is now into its second year, and he is also the founder and director of the Catechetical Institute at the St. Paul Seminary, and this year has begun work as an instructor with St. Paul Seminary's Propedutic Year, so other than that, you're really not a very busy guy.
0: No, it's good <laughs> to be with you, Phil. Yeah. No, I'm not that busy. I am. Um... Uh, in fact, I woke up from a nap just to come over here
1: well, thanks, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that's the case. Wouldn't we all like that to be the case so um yeah thank you for joining us it's it's an honor to have you and talk to you um so as of right now I mean what are the biggest things that that you are working on that are maybe taking up most of your time or that you're you're involved in at at present here in almost February of 2022
0: Mm -hmm. well you know uh COVID-19 certainly changed all of our schedules and some of the things that we are involved in and um Rather than going out everywhere during the last two years, you're kind of forced to, to go in, yeah. you know, in, into my own home, in my, my studio and office there, so I do a lot of work. Uh, we, we just came off the Bible in a year with Father Mike Schmitz, and that uh, was very fruitful. And uh, it's into its second year, and we'll just see what happens there. God seems to be raising up his word in the midst of darkness. Amen. You know, There's a couple of things people are really looking for in their life. They're looking for... Uh, a brighter future and someone to trust, and they're not finding it out there yeah. in the media. Uh, they're not finding it on the web, but they will find it in God's amazing story, Salvation History, and I think, I think personally that that's what God is doing here. He's, 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 uh, he's drawing people to himself, so I've been involved in that. I've got another—I uh, have my regular podcast, The Jeff Caven Show, which comes out every Friday at Ascension Press, and then this year— I've got a new one, a third one that I just absolutely love. And it is a daily devotion that's on the Hallow app. uh, Hallow, H-A-L-L-O-W. And and I'm doing it with Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus on The Chosen. So he reads the Gospel of the Day, and then I give about a five-minute devotion every single day. And I am loving that. It's forcing me to get into the Word of God on a daily basis uh, at a level that um, I, I've never done before. I mean, I've read the gospel every day. I've heard it in Mass, but to sit down and to think about it and to bring out some sense there that's practical for people is a new challenge, and I I love it. I, I, I really, really do. Uh, also, I'm uh, we're working on pilgrimages to Greece and Turkey and the Holy Land and we have some things going on in Europe with a cruise in Germany, France. Wow. And, and then uh, I'm writing a couple of books and uh, kind of keep those under wraps until I get done. It's, uh, uh, I, I remember a quote from Bob Dylan years ago, and he said that, you know, the creative process when you are writing something, he said, be careful who you share it with because they may crush it. And, uh, <laughs> and so I, I have a tendency to be kind of a... You're protective. Yeah, I just write and write, and, uh, and I really enjoy that. Yeah. And, uh, and so they will come out at, at, uh, at some point. And, but most of all, I guess what I'm busy with right now is being a husband and a grandfather and a father. And I really enjoy that. And the older I get, the more I see that that is actually a very serious calling mm. in, my, in your life, you know, my yeah. life. So i uh, busy with that. And I'm supporting my wife, who is finishing her graduate degree in biblical archaeology. Wow. She's working in uh, Jordan at the original Sodom and Gomorrah site and of all no places. Way. Yeah, so she's she's really doing a great job with that.
1: That's awesome. Do you ever sleep?
0: I do every night. <laughs> I know that it looks like I'm bit busy, but you got to remember that everything I do centers around one thing, and sure. that's the scriptures. Sure. And so if you have 40 years of soaking in the scriptures, it's a little easier to draw out than it was when I was yeah, right. 21, 22 years old.
1: Fair enough. Um, so you spend a lot of time and have spent a lot of time around leaders throughout the church and throughout the world, um, in your mind and in your experience and looking at it through, uh, the theological and scriptural lens that you said you soaked in, what makes a good, authentic leader for today's church? Sure. You say?
0: Well, I think, uh, you know, a good leader in today's, in today's church is a person who, uh, like Jesus, uh, a person who loves people. Uh, a good leader loves people. Uh, a good leader, if you love people, you will care for people, you'll watch out for people, um, you'll listen to people and their their views and what they uh, what they have to what they have to say. So I think a, a good leader is someone who has a vision and they have a gift for being able to carry out that vision by working with the right people to get to get that done. And uh, they don't care who gets the credit. You know, when you're a leader and, and you're all caught up in you, you're the thing, you're it. Um, that's usually a poor leader because their their leadership tends to come back around to themselves rather than yeah. uh, to the Lord and His vision and to to uh, help people become uh, all that God has called them to be. I think in one word, I would say a leader is magnanimous. You know, a leader is not. There's an opposite word that we don't use very often, pusillanimous, but a magnanimous magnanimous person is a person who gives freely. And you want to work with people so that they can do what God has called them to do. And I think a leader keeps a team on point, you know, that uh, there's so much noise out there in the world right now. And uh, you, can get, you can get caught off guard, and you can go down trails, rabbit trails, and all kinds of things. But keeping your eyes on Jesus and, uh, and being a doer of the word, not just a, a declarer, not someone who's just saying it, but you, you do it. All of that really goes into uh, being, a, uh, I think, a great leader. And the, the epitome, of course, is Jesus. Sure, Jesus was a great leader.
1: Absolutely. When you look through your Bible timeline, lots of examples of very good, strong leadership and, and lots of examples of failed leadership. What, mm-hmm. what themes about leadership, you know, kind of come out in, in the Bible, would you say, or what does the Bible have to teach us about? In the, about well, leadership? In the Bible,
0: you have all kinds of examples of, you know, of leadership. I think the, one of the first people that we have, of course, is Noah, you know, and Noah was a leader and he was a leader of, of, uh, of three sons and their wives And uh, God had basically had it with this creation, was going to start over, and he worked with Noah, and Noah, uh, in the face of opposition, certainly during that time, built an ark. You know, it's like, why are you building an ark? Well, just am, because God told me to. It didn't make sense, but... Well, what are you going to do with the ark well we'll see you know but he was a he was a great leader i think abraham was a tremendous leader in fact the scripture says that one of the reasons god chose abram to be the father of this people the hebrews was that he taught his children and that that's part of being a great a great leader is to live your life as though there is one god and you're going to teach your children. So, you know, his leadership skills really were developed to the point where for us as modern day Christians, he's, he's our father in faith too. And uh, and then Moses was a great leader. And Moses learned about delegation, that he found that he was uh, overworked, he, he was burnt out. And God said, well, let's uh, give, give the responsibility to 70 other people. Now, you and I might say, give it to two or three, but 70, that must have been a lot that he was doing, and, uh, and, and he, he did that. There are also examples of good leaders that were bad fathers, you know, like David. David was an amazing king and a leader, certainly the epitome of what it meant to be a king in Israel, but yet his own sons, like Absalom, and his own sons, uh, it didn't fare so well, you know, and you, sometimes you see that in the world today, where you see men or women who are great leaders in corporate America and lousy leaders at home. The translation isn't, uh, isn't, isn't made there. Isaiah was a great leader in the Old Testament. Hosea was a great leader in the New Testament. Uh, and so you have, a, you have a lot of good examples, but then in the New Testament, you have the two super saints, the super apostles, Peter and Paul, and both had really different leadership styles. And, uh, you know, Paul went to the Gentiles and Peter to the Jews and uh, just different different uh, leadership styles, and we can learn so much from them. Uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary was a leader. Mm. The epitome of leadership, but back to Jesus. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Recording today on the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul, too, right. so, so a nice tie-in there. Um, when you're looking at it from a uh a catholic perspective i suppose it'd be fair to say that to be a good leader you also need to be a follower you need to be a disciple right mm-hmm. and you've done a good job in your work and your ministry really kind of breaking down and defining discipleship not just you know the textbook definition but how to live that out um walk us through that a little bit how do you kind of break down and frame up discipleship what does sure. it mean to be a disciple in this day and age? Well,
0: that's a good question what does it mean to be a disciple in the modern era or what i would call an, an activated disciple yes you, when you go back and you look at the relationship between Jesus and his followers, a lot of times we don't look at what that relationship looked like. You know, we don't, we don't, we don't look at the actual um, relationship between the rabbi and the disciple. And I was very blessed in that. Uh, you know, in the I left the Catholic Church. Uh, that's not why I was blessed, but I left the Catholic Church in my in my early twenties, and and I was immersed into a whole decade of studying the early. Early church in Jerusalem with some of the greatest teachers from Hebrew University, and uh, around the United States, <laughs> around the United States, and and I, I was able to to see the relationship between Jesus, the Rabbi, and the disciples who are Talmidim or their disciples, and what you have there is you don't have. Uh, A charismatic leader simply giving talks around the country and people are like, I like his style. You know, I (laughs) want to follow this guy. This guy is pretty cool. You know, that isn't what this is about at all. But what it's about is the rabbi-disciple relationship. And that is that a, a rabbi actually invited a small number of people to be around him for a three to five, six, seven year period where he would teach them, and they would, they would observe him, and they would eventually go out and make disciples of their own in this vein of thought. And so the average number of disciples that a rabbi had in Jesus' day was five. And Jesus, of course, had 12, for theological reasons, 12 tribes, uh, the great Hillel had 70, and uh, most of the other ones, had uh, Gamliel had five to eight disciples, which Paul was a disciple of the great Gamliel, It mentions uh, in uh, today's reading, in today's reading on this Feast of uh, Paul. So the idea of being a disciple is one who is chosen, and you respond to being chosen by saying, yes, I will be with you, Jesus. And the goal of that is for you to become like Jesus, but you can't become like Jesus unless you are with Jesus. And so this now is going to be an invitation to live with him, to observe him, to obey him, and the uh, the end goal here is that you will be like your master. You'll be like the master. So discipleship is uh, a lifestyle. Discipleship is is forming your entire life around Jesus. Another way to put it is that the shape of your day is influenced by the love of your life. So mm-hmm. if you're into football, the shape of your day will reflect it. If you love if you love uh, skiing. The shape of your day will reflect it. If you love Texas Hold'em, the shape of your day will reflect it. But if you are completely and utterly in love with Jesus Christ, the shape of your day will reflect it. It's not, it's not just a thought, which is what I would call kind of regular Christianity out there. That oh yeah, I agree with him and I really like his style, but it's more of uh, I'm going to I'm going to order my whole life around him. And and that's what a disciple is. And so I think of myself number one as a disciple of Jesus, and uh, and then from there, I am a, a husband who is a disciple. I'm a father who's a disciple. A grandfather, a teacher, to seminary as a disciple of Jesus. And that's something that nobody can take from you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh- Let's talk about Jeff Cavins, the man, a little bit. You mentioned your grandfather. So How many kids do you have, and then how many grandkids now? Or I, have so have and and I have three daughters, and I have
0: three grandchildren right now, two boys and a girl. How and, old are they? Uh, they are uh, 10, 7, and 3. Oh, man. So you're, you're living the life. I am. Grandpa life. It is amazing. It's yeah. a life changer. It's everything and more that everyone, that everyone told me it was going to be you know, years ago, and there's something beautiful about watching your kids love their children, and I I really enjoy that, yeah. so I get it now, when people, they get a little crazy, you know, about being grandfathers and grandmothers, and I get it now.
1: Yeah, it is funny, even as a dad, like, people tell you, oh, yeah, the time's going to go by fast, like, all these lessons you hear over yeah. and over, yeah. and I don't know that you have a full appreciation for it until you're, you're yeah, actually it living it. it does go by quick, yeah,
0: yeah, and before you know it, my 10-year-old grandson will be college age yeah and it will be like hey phil remember when i told you that was just happened you're like no how long ago was that that we talked well oh boy that was eight years ago right (laughs) then we'll both feel old which is great so
1: um this might be a disingenuous question based on on your on the biographical conversation we're having but what do you do in your spare time what what things are you into to to recreate and, and that sort of stuff
0: yeah um well, I'm, a, I'm probably a little odd in that in that way. In that, um, I, I like to bicycle. <laughs> um, I like to uh, to take long walks. I like to spend a lot of time with my wife. You know, in in discussion, we talk about uh, a lot of theological things. So yeah. I'm, be- I'm blessed in that. Um, but I I would say that the, the the number one thing I do to relax and re- recreate <laughs> is I love learning and uh, I find great joy and and uh, relax relaxation in learning but not just learning but the actual art of learning you know I I like studying about learning and that's how the great adventure came about when I was you know 25 years old and uh, I was uh, I was getting a degree in education at the time and and I, I just love studying some of the great models of education and, and how do we learn? And especially with, t- you, know, you know, today with technology, how do you harness technology so that you can learn and think? And so I'm, I've am i always been a thinker. My mother called me the thinker when I was a kid <laughs> because I was, you know, Rodin's thinker. And and uh, because she couldn't get my attention if I was thinking. She'd go, Jeff, Jeff. And what? What? And where were you there you yeah. know so uh, so my one of my nicknames in high school was was drifty uh, because i i was a deep thinker and i still am today and yeah. my wife has learned to know that if i've got that certain look on my face just give him 10 15 minutes he'll be he'll be over <laughs> it he, he'll stop thinking about whatever he's thinking about right now but and i'm not proud of it but there are times where i'm thinking about something with two or three people there in the group and I come to a point, and some would call it rude, but <laughs> I get to a point where I cannot even hear any voices around yeah. me. I'm, I'm unaware of anyone talking. And then they'll say, Jeff, oh, what? <laughs> yeah. So I, I really do enjoy thinking. That's awesome. Yeah. Explains a lot. <laughs> um- um-
1: you mentioned education. Is there like a, a model or a, a way of educating in this day and age that you have maybe come to endorse or prefer? Or what would have mm-hmm. been some of the fruits of, of your learning about learning, I guess, that, right. that we can use in the educational well, sphere? Which is yeah, that's a good, that's deal a good
0: question. We're all different. And I think everybody, you know, they want to know how other people are doing it. Yeah. How do you go about education? There is, There is certainly the, the regular form of education out there. And that is that a teacher stands up and yeah, you know, just gives you a lot of information, and you write all that information yeah. down. You get tested for it later. Uh, I'm not that way at all. Um, my form of education, at least what I believe is good education, is centered around connecting things. You know, when you, if you're going to learn anything, you have to bring that new idea into your world and connect it to something, and then it starts. It starts to take on meaning when you can connect it. So when I put together. <laughs> when I put together the Bible timeline uh, I had you have 73 books of the Bible well how am I going to master all of this how am I going to know this story well the first thing is is that you take the complex and you make it simple mm-hmm. so I broke it down into 12 periods and then the 14 books uh narrative books out of the 73 to take you through that that story so there I've I, I, I whittled it down to something simple. Now with that as the, the, um, the basic structure, I'll now build on that. Mm. And so anything that I learn in the Bible or the catechism or a talk, I will attach it to something that I know of in God's plan of salvation history. So I start linking things. And uh, I'm a big fan of linking new ideas to things that you know and making them your own. So for example, Um, I would teach a system called the Zettelkasten system. It's a fancy word, you can Google it, (laughs) Zettelkasten. it was really made famous by Nicholas Luhmann, a German sociologist. And what he had was everything he read that caught his attention. He wrote, wrote information down in atomic notes, that is one thought per note, this idea. And then he put them in what was called a slip box, <clears throat> which is a like a, a you can put index cards in a box. And then when he got new ideas, he would go to this box, grab his index cards, and he would link between the ideas. Wow. And he had over something like uh, twenty uh, thousand of these cards. He wrote he wrote hundreds of books, dozens and dozens of articles. And so what he did was. He had a method of linking things that he knew together. Now I, I'm a proponent of that, so I, I use a, a software package called um, Obsidian, where I take my ideas, and I, they are atomic notes, one idea, and then I put them in the in the uh, um, just a plain text file, and then this program allows me to link them together, wow. so that I start learning from my own linking at that. At that point. But here's the thing. When you get a new idea, let's say that you heard uh, our great rector, Father Taporn, he gives a homily. There's one point in there where, where Phil says, that is dynamite. Yeah. That yep. is A little nugget that sticks, yeah. So you write it down. Give him credit. It's on an index card, or in my case, it's on a file. And then what I challenge people to do, which is what I do, and that is make it your own. And that is you start with that atomic note. Then think about it. Think about it. Think about other things that you know. And then underneath that, write it out in your language, that in it, which which shows I've thought about this. I understand this. I can communicate this without having to simply quote someone. You can say, as Father Taphorn said, and then you can basically said, and you can give it out in your own language. So I think that one of the things in education that is, that is faltering is well, there's a couple I'll get to the other one in a moment, but is that we don't teach people how to think. Mm. We teach them how to copy down stuff and regurgitate it. That's not thinking. That is not thinking and most likely you're not going to take that information into your life as a father, a grandfather, or whatever. The other things about education is that if we're going to educate I think of education as like a a target, you know, like an archer shooting arrows and there's a target, bullseye. And so often our education is like a target without a bullseye. Mm. It's just, there's a lot of space out there. You can kind of hurl anything at that in high school or junior high. But what about the bullseye? What belongs in in the middle? And so for the Catholic, it certainly is an understanding of the Word of God, and an understanding of what it means to be a disciple, and, and and what does it mean to be a part of the Catholic Church? Now, once you you nail those things, everything else is is great. It hits the target somewhere, but it is in relationship to the core ideas about our life. You know, you can study you know Catholicism your whole life, and then all of a sudden you realize when you're 60 years old, man. I, I, I wish I knew I was supposed to be a disciple. Mm -hmm. I wish I could go back and I could apply all of this. So those are some things about education. I I, uh, love to link the ideas together. And when I built the Bible timeline, I took those 12 periods and those 14 books and I started linking everything to them. And so I could go through, I linked it to color. Uh, Originally I linked everything to food. So when I taught the uh, patriarchs, I had, or I taught the conquest of Canaan, everybody had a big bowl of grapes on the table that they were oh, wow. I was teaching. And uh, in the desert, in the, you know, in the Egypt and Exodus with the manna, everyone had pita breads and they were, so I'm teaching, and they're writing down and they're eating something.
1: I can get behind that. Yeah. That, they, would, they that, that would stick very, very high recall yeah, especially levels in there. the New
0: Testament with the Passover lamb. Right? Yeah, let's <laughs> go.
1: Yeah. Very good. Yeah. What's it like working with your wife? Uh, oh, not all of wife. us have the privilege to do that, but you guys have kind of a power couple there. We're huh? a good team. You yeah. know,
0: uh, I guess it goes back to when we met, when we met, I was 18 and she was 17 and we met in college. She had got, graduated from high school a year early to go to college to meet me. <laughs> but she didn't know <laughs> She's an she overachiever on a bunch of different yeah, yeah, levels. She didn't know Just that. ask Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> so she, we met and um, I was searching and I was a run of the mill Catholic at the time, which meant I didn't really know much about my faith. Mm. And I met her and I was the editor of the paper in college and uh, I was instantly attracted to her. And then once I met her and started talking to her, she was telling me all about this relationship with Jesus. She was a charismatic, kind of a non-denominational family. And I was so attracted by this relationship that I I started seeking the Lord at that point. When it came time finally for us to determine whether we were gonna get married, we actually said to each other, you know, uh, if if I got married to you, then serving Christ together would be the number one goal. Uh, the number one goal isn't that you're great looking and uh, you got an incredible personality, which he does, both. But the goal was, could we serve God together for the rest of our no. life? So that was the foundation, and today... You know, she's my best friend, and we, uh, every morning, uh, I know other people can't do this, but every morning we spend roughly an hour and a half together. Every morning. Amazing. And we read scripture, we talk to each other, we pray, and then we have breakfast. And so we get up early to do that, but that's the way every day begins for us. And, uh, And we've been married 43 years now. So, she's a biblical archeologist, so she loves to play in the dirt. I don't. I like to read and study and link ideas. I'm l- linking all the time, yeah. you know, trying to learn and trying to think, think about things. So, if somebody proposes something very difficult in the Bible. I love it because I'll write it down and say, "Thank you," because I, I got something to think about yeah. today. I want to, I want to think about that. Um, Emily wants to dig. Yeah, she'll and go so, actually dig it up. So we have great complementary yeah. conversations. So I, I she's a great writer too and a great yeah. mom. Great grandmother. Uh, She is, in short, uh, the most incredible person I've ever known.
1: Amazing. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Uh, Walk us through your journey away from and back to the faith. I know it's a long story, but you know, that's uh, one you've told many times, but I I do think it's interesting to look at all the work you're doing now. And there was a time where, you know, you you had fallen away from, from the Catholic faith. So take us through that.
0: Well, I had that conversion experience, as I mentioned with, with Emily, I was 18 mm-hmm. years old. Uh, by the time that I was uh, about 21, 20, about 22, I left the church. I, uh, at 18, I went down to Texas, in, uh, I think I was 18, 18, 19. Went down to Dallas, Texas, went through Bible college, uh, and I still was Catholic and thought I was Catholic. And after that, I went through uh, radio and, and television broadcasting school. And I got a job at WCCO in Minneapolis. That's right. And and after that, I got my first job on air at uh, Valley City, North Dakota, KOVC Radio. And it was there that I actually, Emily and I were married, and uh, we were married before that. But that's the place where I actually left the Catholic Church. And I didn't leave the Catholic Church because of theology. I I wasn't deep enough, really, at that point to make that kind of a decision, even though I'd been through Bible college. But I was more of an, uh, more of I was loved out of the church. Mm. The Assembly of God folks just loved me, invited me to everything, praying with me, studies, Bible studies. I couldn't get enough of this stuff. It's like, whoa, I'm back in Bible school. And uh, I ended up one day when Bishop Driscoll from Fargo came over to do what's called an open service where it's not mass, but he just answers questions and sees mm. how people are doing. Well, it was there that I ended up leaving the Catholic Church in rather glorious form. I yelled at him publicly. I had had it, and uh, I was frustrated with being Catholic, and I was frustrated with my family, who basically I felt had rejected me because of this newborn-again experience Mm -hmm. that that I had. And I I yelled, and I got up and started walking out of the church, and Bishop Driscoll started clapping, one clap, and I turned around, it was him, and I looked at him, and he looked at me, and he said, I want to talk to you later. And they said, I don't know. And I said, bye. And I turned around and walked out. Well, I didn't sleep very well that night. And the next morning, I did what I normally did. I got up, got on my motorcycle, went out to the convent outside of town to pray with the sisters who were charismatic and, uh, and helped them in any way I could. I went out there. Little did I know, they were at that church service where I left, you know, angry. And they told the bishop. Don't go back to Fargo. Stay with, stay at the priest quarters at the convent. He, he comes out every morning, and I don't know what got into him. Wow! So I went out there the next morning, knocked on the door, and guess who answered? It was the bishop. And I almost passed out because I thought I thought he was going to just basically tell me, "You on your way to hell, buddy?" You know, yeah. knowing what I knew at that point. He said, "Come on in," and we, we were talking, and uh, I told him my story. And he says, "He says, listen, I'm going to tell you three things. Number one." the journey you're on is of God. And I'm like, whoa, I've not heard that from a Catholic. And he said that, yeah, yeah, the journey you're on is of God. Number two, he said, I'm going to call you Little Newman. And I said, I thought he was talking about Al Newman from Mad Magazine, you know, like I'm a clown or something. Because I did before this, I did stand-up comedy. And uh, so I didn't know what he was talking about. Newman, he says, uh, and he told me Cardinal Newman, he yeah. loves scripture, you yeah. know. And then he said number about th- a thinker, yeah. He right. said, Number three, number three, and he pointed at me and he said, He said, Mark my words, you're gonna return someday and you're gonna teach your people. And I said, I don't think so. And I got up, shook his hand, and left. So that's how I left the Catholic Church and then I went, uh I went into radio in Iowa, Christian radio in Appella, Iowa, and then after that, I went down to back down to Florida and went through a special training school, and I was ordained a Protestant pastor at that point of an independent kind of a charismatic church. And uh, for twelve years, I was a pastor: seven years in the Twin Cities, five in Dayton, Ohio, and uh, the three years prior to coming back to the church. I really engaged even at a deeper level in the early church fathers. And the more I studied, the more I realized that my church, this independent charismatic church, and I mean this sincerely, looked nothing like the early church, nothing. And I started to see the common denominator in, the, in those early churches was the, the Eucharist, the Blessed Mother as the Queen, the the uh, prime minister or the al habayit the, the the one the pope the one who's over and the concept of the word of god being scripture and tradition i knew those things from my biblical studies but i never translated them into a denomination so i set out and started looking at who does all this stuff and i thought oh no and i realized the catholic church and that threw a real you know problem into the scenario because <laughs> uh, the day I left for Bible College the night before my dad and I got into a quite an argument wow. and it didn't turn out well yeah. and I left home that way arguing over the Catholic Church and and my born-again experience so I the more I studied the more I started to become convinced that this early church is the Catholic Church and then it came time for that decision to be made and I made that decision that I was going to give up my work and go back to the Catholic Church. And my bishop, Bishop Paul Dudley in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, was my childhood pastor. I called him up, went out to Sioux Falls, spent three days together. And it was in the middle of the night in his private chapel that I said, yes, I will do this. I'll go back. So I did. And the very first thing I did was I went to Steubenville because my bishop wanted me to get a Catholic graduate degree, sure. So I did, and then I got a call from Mother Angelica after teaching at Steubenville for a year and a half, to come on her show, and I went down and got on her show. And right after that show, where I told my story, she brought me to the side and she said, she said, honey, she said, I want you to pray about this. She said, would you start your own show here wow. on primetime time? Uh, she said, the Lord told me you're the one. And I said, whoa. And so I prayed with Bishop Dudley for about a month. And I said yes, and we left Steubenville and went to Birmingham, Alabama, and started Life on the Rock. And about two months or six months later, Mother called me into her office and asked if I would be her substitute for her shows and do her show with her if she wasn't feeling well. And so that's the story in a nutshell. And Emily came back into the Catholic Church a year after I did. Amazing. And our daughter, Carly. So
1: rest is history.
0: Yeah. Mother Angelica's got to be one of the.
1: Most saintly people you've ever met, right? Like, what like, what you have any good Mother Angelica. Story? Yeah, she's, she's very, very uh,
0: uh, interesting lady. Very powerful, very holy, uh, very strong-willed in a good way. Yeah. Uh, she is nobody to mess with, and that's a good thing. When she knows what she wants and how to get it done, and that's a gift. That's a charisma she has, and so she was. She was very funny, and very serious, all at the mm. same, all at the same time, and. I kind of became a son to her in some ways, we did a lot together, we traveled, um, uh, we, uh, we spent a lot of time talking, and I have a lot of funny stories with her, and it was the, the, the night that she was healed, she, she had a body, a body, um, what do you call them, brace on, a body brace and legs and everything, because of a severe accident that took place when she was young. Well, she was instantly healed after her show on a Wednesday night. And the next morning, she calls me early and says, honey, come on down. I want to show you something. And so I, I went on down over, and uh, all the nuns were there. And she's standing there, and she spins around like like a high school dance, you wow. know, just beautiful. And she goes, what do you think? I said, oh, my gosh. And then she said, "Do you think I could come on?" She said, "Do you think I could come on your show tonight and tell the world?" I said, "Mother, you own the network. you can do anything you want. You know? so that night she came on life on the rock and told the world yeah. what, it, what happened, and so there again, I was just at the right place at the right time, and uh you know, I don't have a gift for developing those things. I have a gift for walking through open doors. yes, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, let the Lord lead, right yeah. so that's awesome uh so EWTN is a good example. You've done work with Relevant Radio, uh, based out of the Twin Cities. Here, it seems like, as technology's changed and information consumption habits of consumers has changed, you've really been able to kind of lean into that and and, mm-hmm. and sort of stay with it. So, kind of a two-part question. Um, what successes have you found in using technology to evangelize? I guess we'll start there, and then I want to follow up and kind of ask about the balance of that because we are all kind of mm-hmm. addicted to technology right now, too, and there's, there's a balance that needs to be achieved. But How right. have you sort of um, ridden that wave in a good way that's you know, using the tools at our disposal to, yeah. to share the gospel, I guess?
0: Well, I think, you, I think you nailed it in the word you used right there, and that their they're tools. Yeah. Uh, I am not in love with my hammer. I'm not in love with a screwdriver or a saw, they're tools. I'm in love with the work I'm doing, you know, I love the work that I'm doing. And this actually is one of the problems that we face, you know, not just in ministries and technology and quote unquote, the tools, Mm -hmm. but in our Catholic life. And what I mean by that is that sometimes people get caught up in the tools and never get around to the work, for example. Uh, they're caught up in, they want the, just the right rosary, the right look, the right feel, the right Bible, the right feel, um, the right statue, you know. They're really caught up in the tools, the right scapular, you know? yeah. And really the truth is, get a scapular, wear it, but stop searching for three months for the right scapular. You're, it isn't the tools, it's what the tools work on. It's what they mm. point you to. And so I've seen people before their whole life is in the tools. It's in the metals. It's in this and that. And they're all great if they're t- treated as tools. And when it comes to you know the, the ministry w- world of teaching and so forth, you have to distinguish between what is a tool and what is the mission. And mm. if my mission is to teach people how to read the Bible, then I've got to get a Bible and start doing it. I can't spend my life trying to find the perfect Bible or the perfect marking instruments you know or the perfect journal get one and start doing it you know Uh, you'll find your place in it so for me uh i have to resist going deep and having more fun in the tools like software yeah you know i found a software package and this is amazing i'm gonna master it. it's gonna help me out so much and the truth is is that in some cases it never helped me out at all. It just took a lot of time to organize and make it look pretty. And uh, all of a sudden, something else came out. Hey, look yeah. at that shiny thing, you know. So I would just encourage people. I have a podcast, you know, on Fridays. And I have, I have one podcast where it's um, basically a message to young Catholic entrepreneurs, what to do and what to avoid. And uh, that's on my Ascension podcast, The Jeff Kavan Show. If we have any young entrepreneurs that are interested in yeah. that, where I tell you the mistakes I made and the things that I learned, and I would encourage them to do at the same time. So, <clears throat> so for example, for example, the uh, the tools that I use, I use you know the uh, uh, MacBook Pro and I use an iPad and my phone, but I chose certain software packages that would serve my purpose as a tool. So my my life is surrounded by, or my life is 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 in the area of watching out for truth and and uh, insights and bringing them into a world where I can link them to the truths that w- we already know and to see something even more beautiful there. And so my software is divided really up into capturing. Then organizing and then using it to use it in my writing or to use it in my talks or my raising children, grandchildren, whatever it might be. So outside of that, I don't have time for a lot of other of other things. I have my software that I have on my uh, iPad and my MacBook Pro, those are the tools that I use. And again, I'm not in love with the tools.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I use them. And if software could show a patina on it, these are very well worn software packages <laughs> and i and I, you learn them and muscle memory, and then use them. Yeah. Stop moving from app to app. stop sure. it's. That's not what we're called to do.
1: Sure, and you know, you mentioned off the top how we're we're kind of maybe more isolated than ever, just with COVID and kind of the addiction to technology, all those things coalescing. What's the end goal of sort of evangelizing online, whether it's the podcast you're doing or you know digital content that you've put out? Are you like what? What is the end goal for for, for your audience? I sure. guess.
0: Well, I think the end goal for the podcast that I do, whether it's my show or Bible in a Year or my daily devotion with uh, Jonathan, is to is to lend my my mind and to lend my speech yeah. to the Lord to try to communicate the will of God to people in such a way that they understand it and I provide examples of how to put that into practice in your life. Uh, I, I there are people who just teach the sense of it and that's great you know there's some really good teachers out there for some reason my my i guess you could say my angle is i want to show them how to do it yeah. and how to bring it into the into the uh, the life of not just a christian but a disciple you know and how to how to build a life you know so that's my goal really is to is to treat everybody as someone special. And, you know, Father Groeschel told me one time, he said, uh, he said that uh, when, about Mother Teresa, he said uh, every person that she was with felt that they were the only ones in the world. And I thought that really had an impact on me when he told me that, because so often we meet people, especially if people like myself who are in the public eye, yep. you know, and you're traveling, yep. uh, you meet so many people and they're very conscious of the fact, if, whether you whether you're really engaged with them or they're just another person. And so I learned from Mother Teresa about that and try to give that special attention to every single person as though Jesus had introduced us together, you know, rather than an inconvenience or something like that.
1: Sure, yeah, create those connections. Where's Bible in a year rank in uh, all the work that
0: you've done? It's probably um, hard to make your rank. Yeah, but. I guess we have to define ranking in yeah. some ways. You know, uh, in terms of the in terms of a quick movement that gathered the most people, it's at the top. Yeah, you know, it it uh, it blew us all away. We weren't prepared for it. In fact, when Father Mike and I did the, the record some of the recordings prior to that January that it was released, um, we did some we did some of the recordings, and then at the end of the year, you have New Year's Eve. And I forgot about it. I totally forgot about it. And, huh. and New Year's Day came. I didn't even think of it. And, wow, you know, you're on to other stuff. You're working. You're developing. Yep. You're living today. And I think it was the second day we got a call from the producer who said, Congratulations, you're number one. And I said, number one? Now, it might sound funny, but I didn't know what she was talking about. Yeah, number one. And I thought, the podcast? And she goes, yeah. And I said, number one Christian podcast? No. I said, Catholic? No. She said, all of them, everything. You're number one in the country. And I said, you got to be kidding. So I immediately went on to Apple, and I looked. Oh, my gosh. We're number one. Yeah. And that really that blew Father Mike and, and me both away. You know, that how did that happen? Which we totally give the credit to God. I mean, we got interviewed so many times. How did you guys do this? And the answer was, we don't know. We Don't know uh, why do you think now? Well, I think God is calling people to his word, yeah. And he used two guys from Minnesota that read the Bible, get that Catholic get this, Catholics. <laughs> that really caused uh, some of my Protestant friends to say, like, What is that about? Right, we're the ones with the Bible. How'd you Catholics end up <laughs> there? Well, it's because we kind of came up with a thing, that
1: that's right, <laughs> clearing up some misconceptions, yeah. There. yeah. yeah.
0: So that, that was uh, probably one of the biggest... Outside of that, um, it's the Great Adventure Bible Timeline. You know, yeah. that's been my life since I was 25. And so it's been, you know, nearly nearly 30-some years, 40 almost 40 years, where that has been the center of my life. And that has gone out and, you know, it's not, it's not something that just I do. We had a, a magnificent team to help in putting everything together and workbooks and... videos and the marketing and so forth but it was the people out there that their life was changed by scripture they're the ones that kept it going and telling other people about it and then of course that led to the great adventure bible and um so those are probably the two big things that as far as work goes outside of that there's several that are actually bigger than all of that and and those are my my three daughters amen (laughs) You know, and my and my, yeah. my wife and then my grandchildren, they're far greater works than anything I've done. Um, every single person is magnificent. and You just can't top this. You know, yeah. a human being is, wow. Yeah, <laughs>
1: absolutely. So, briefly... Tell us about your work with the seminary, started with the propedeutic year. What's the propedeutic year? Kind of walk us through what you're doing with that first. Sure. And then we'll talk about Catechetical Institute, which I know you're always excited to talk about. So Yeah,
0: well, well, the Holy Father has asked for a propedeutic year. Now, number one, it's like saying catechism, you know, or catechetical. It's like a secret word that you have to master yeah. before you can say it, you know. Yeah. Propedeutic is another one. Another way of looking at propedeutic is uh, aspirancy, you yep. know. Uh, the seminaries around the country, they have guys coming in and they want to be a priest and they want to go to seminary. So they are introduced into the seminary after going through a vetting process, psychological exams and so forth. Well, what the Propodutic year idea is is that before you get to the seminary, you would have a year of living in community outside of the seminary. You would have a year of living in community uh, all week long no phone, no computers, and you learn and you work through who you are. And so, like, for example, our Propodutic program here is one year long. We have 16 fabulous guys from all over the country. I teach discipleship in the fall twice a week. And then in the, uh, after the new year, I teach scripture twice a week, the great adventure. We also have Father Vanderplug and he teaches about the saints and just amazing stuff, angels, uh, and some of the great saints like St. Saint Cashin. And then we have Paul Ruff, who is a psychologist, who really works with every guy, one-on-one, and then also teaches as a class. And then we have Bill Stevenson, who goes into some of the, the intellectual formation of the great, the great books, almost like a great books program. Yeah. So these guys live in community for a year, and they're getting all four of us, and they have a discipline to their day, and then they can make that decision. Yeah. And do I, Am I called to go into this seminary? And uh, we'll see what happens. This is the first year for us, but yeah, we're one of the first dioceses in St. Paul, Minneapolis, to do it. So we're getting quite a bit of attention around the country yep. of others that want to know, what are you guys doing? Yeah. What and fruit have
1: you seen from it? So far, just in the oh, it's and been phenomenal. You know, them. Father
0: Floater heads up the program, and he lives with the guys, and uh, I think it's incredible. It's incredible, and some of their some of their rectors have showed up, you know, to see what's going on. Sure. they're impressed with what these guys are are doing, and it's all under the leadership of Father Taphorn, and ultimately uh, Archbishop Hebda. You know, here in the Twin Cities. So we'll see what happens after this year, but uh, by uh, all you know ways of measuring at this point it's out of the park yeah and that's that's the conclusion of all the teachers this this is out of the park this is incredible
1: so good also out of the seminary the catechetical institute uh you know that's been around for a while it's really well known i think particularly in the twin cities among catholic circles but how how, i guess gratifying has it been to to see that grow into what it is and you've got hundreds of people every year yeah, just old schmucks like me, right? Learning, <laughs> learning the catechism, um, and applying it in their everyday life. And old schmucks of, like kind of me of teaching. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, the Catechetical Institute in the Twin Cities was uh, something put together nearly fifteen years ago, and uh, it was, you know, it, Archbishop Flynn was the was the Archbishop here at the time, yeah. and he wanted a Catechetical Institute, so we brought ideas together and developed a a, a two year program that would take Laity through the catechism, according to the school year. So the first year, you have the first two pillars. The second year, you have three and four. And there's small group discussion, and we utilize about 10 teachers, both from St. Thomas and the seminary and outside, really good teachers.
1: Yeah. The access people in CI have... The access that people have to those professors at the CI, I mean, that's it's amazing. kind of a cream of the crop.
0: It is amazing what, what they have. And they, they, so they go through this two-year formation, and twice a pillar, there's a Saturday where they, they go and have a retreat to kind of put what they have been learning from their head into their heart, yeah. you know, that make it part of their life. And they write a paper uh, for each pillar, a two-page paper that just simply says, this is what I've learned. And uh, we have graduated now. Um, I think we're around 4,000 people who have in the Twin Cities who have gone through two years of formation. And when they're done, they get an, a beautiful certificate given to them by Archbishop, the Archbishop, the, whoever the Archbishop is at that time. We've had three now. But uh, then the churches are looking for these people. Yeah. And these people go back to their parish. And they are fruitful. Yep. We have uh, Father Sklazacek uh, over at St. John Baptist. Uh, he had, I think he was John the Baptist. He, he was. Yeah. He yep. had. He had uh, close to 100 graduates. Yeah. Just in the one church, and he said that it actually became more work for him to try to figure out how to utilize all these people who said, I want to be used by God. So now it's going a little bit national. We're getting other places that are joining us. And out of that two-year program, now we have a number of opportunities like the School of Discipleship, the School of the Holy Spirit, the School of Prayer, and a number of workshops. And each class is named after a saint, so they stay together for in perpetuity. In I mean, in perpetuity, they they stay together and they work together as a as a um, class, a cohort, for all the work in the future.
1: So awesome. Okay, one more and we'll get you out of here. You've been very <laughs> generous with your time. Really appreciate it. I think we're getting close to maybe even over an hour. Um, what can the average Catholic do? This is going to sound really generic, but uh, to to make a difference, the challenges in the world that that we talk about, everyone knows what they are. The rise of secularism, just kind of where we're at as a society. Besides prayer, you know, what 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 are one or two practical things a Catholic can do in their everyday life to to do what we've talked about today, to to be an activated disciple, to to live the gospel, and to to help the situation, for lack of a better
0: term. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a good question. Um, I, I I would say that there's really a, a couple of things. One is to really get to know the faith. Um, yeah. Not just h- hit and miss, yeah. but to understand salvation history, Genesis to Revelation. And naturally, I would recommend the great adventure on that. That's what my life's about, but to get to know the to get to know the story of salvation history and how the catechism blends with that. And then you're going to get a really good idea of what we believe as Catholics and all the moving parts within yeah. within the church. But I I would say the second one is find a niche that needs to be filled that you are interested in and go after it. I get tons of letters from college students saying, I'm getting ready to graduate and basically I want to do what you're doing. Hmm. I, and I usually will write back and say, Well, no, you don't. There's nobody can do what I'm doing and no one and I can't do what you're doing. You know, you gotta do what God has called you to do. So what I recommend them to do is to find out what is the passion in your in your heart? What do you have a passion for? Because that's gonna show up and that's gonna stay with you. If your passion is for grandparents, if your passion is for single ladies, if your passion for single mothers, if your passion is for prayer, if your passion is for feeding the poor, teaching, whatever it might be, being a mom, being a dad, go after it with all of your heart. And don't look for everybody to come and say, oh, we love what you're doing. We want you to come and do this. Just do it. Do it. And the Lord will make room for you in the Mm -hmm. body in the body of christ And, and if you do that if you do that long enough it's people seem to take a notice you know to be honest with you phil what i'm doing right now is very very similar to what i was doing when i was 25. i'm teaching what i've learned at 25 and i at 25 i discovered how i could show people the Narrative of Salvation History with a timeline time chart and color. And that was huge. People were like, oh my gosh, I wanted this, something like this. Well, I just kept doing it. And now we're here where we're at today just because of filling a niche. It could have been a uh, men's ministry or whatever. But get involved in your parish and, and, and find out what needs to be filled, what are you interested in, and go after it. As unto the Lord, that you're doing this as a passion for the uh, for the for the Lord. The third thing I would say is, is Phil, we as Catholics, we have to start making spiritual babies. We have to start sharing our faith yeah. with other people. Uh, when we go to a church that has three thousand families in it, and at the Easter Vigil, three people are coming in, two of them married in. The other one read a Scott Hahn book. We got a problem. And, and uh, if, if we really wanna have an impact on the world for Christ, we have to start sharing our own stories of what God has done in our life. I call this, you know, uh, well I don't call it, the church calls it the kerygma, the proclamation of the gospel. And I talk about it a lot because if, 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 we, if we're just gonna have a church growth program based on who's gonna marry a Catholic, we're losing big time. We have to start to learn the faith and how to share it. And we can't use excuses like, that's not my gift. I don't know enough. Mm-mm. No, sharing Christ has nothing to do with gift. It has to do with passion and love. And do you know enough? So, so you're saying that in order for you to evangelize, you have to become brilliant? No. You just have to know what Christ has done in your life. That's what's going to be communicated. It's going to be caught, not taught, and, uh, and that's what I would say. You want to have an impact? You want to be a modern-day disciple? Start looking for opportunities to share what Christ has done in your life. So
1: good. Thank you so much for you your bet. time. It's been an amazing conversation. Great to talk to you as well. And thank all of you for joining us on this edition of the Joyful Catholic Leaders Show. Be sure to subscribe wherever you find your podcasts and follow both the St. Paul Seminary and St. John Vianney College Seminary on social media and at semssp.org. New episodes drop every month on the first Friday of the month in honor of Our Lady of Fatima and the most sacred heart of Jesus. Thanks for listening and God bless.